Mr. Mueller and Zebley, would you please rise and raise your right hands to be sworn? Over the course of my career, I've seen a number of challenges to our democracy. The Russian government's efforts to interfere in our election is among the most serious. So what did you determine about the president's credibility? And that I can't get into. Were the president's personal finances outside the purview of your investigation? I'm not going to get into that. Did you want to interview Donald Trump Jr.? And I'm not going to discuss that. And what about total exoneration? Did you actually totally exonerate the president? No. You have served this country for decades. You've taken an oath to defend the Constitution. You hold yourself to a standard of doing what's right. I would hope. You have. I think we can all see that. And uh, befitting the times, I'm sure your reward will be unending criticism. <laughs> but we are grateful. Welcome to a very special episode of Talking Feds, a prosecutor's roundtable that brings together some of the best-known former Department of Justice officials for a dynamic discussion of the most important legal topics of the day, including the investigations of the president and his circle. Today, we're going to discuss Robert Mueller's historic testimony before Congress and what happens next in the wake of it. It was one of the most anticipated events since Donald Trump first said, WikiLeaks, if you're listening, but did it move the needle in any material way? I'm Harry Littman. I'm a former United States attorney and deputy assistant attorney general and also line prosecutor and a current Washington Post columnist. Today, I'm joined by a tremendous panel with three people who can offer insight into Mueller's testimony and what, if any, impact it will have on the American people. First, two returning feds, both of whom worked closely with Robert Mueller and joined us for our pivotal and, I think, in retrospect, prescient episode, The Mueller We Know. Melinda Haig is the head of global litigation practice at Oric, Harrington, and Sutcliffe, and the former United States Attorney for the Northern District of California and longtime assistant U.S. Attorney before then. Welcome back, Melinda. Thank you, Harry. And Martha Bursch is the founder of Bursch Elofsky and a former assistant U.S. Attorney for Northern California when Bob Mueller was the U.S. Attorney there. And in addition to handling a variety of white-collar crimes, she also worked criminal matters related to former Soviet bloc countries. Martha, good to see you. Thank you, Harry. And finally, we are thrilled to welcome our third guest, filmmaker, actor, writer, producer, and director, Rob Reiner. Rob is not a former Fed, but he does have the honor of having his acting work on the groundbreaking TV sitcom All in the Family discussed by former President Nixon and his staff on secret Oval Office recordings. Rob directed movies that have had a profound impact on American culture. This is Spinal Tap, Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, The American President, Misery, A Few Good Men, The Bucket List, and so many more. And as important for current purposes, he has been a keen and frequent participant in the public debate over the Trump administration's 
conduct for two years now, and you can regularly see him in TV panels discussing the developments. And I think it's fair to say presenting a dyed-in-the-wool opponent's view to the president. Rob, thank you very much for welcoming us into your home. Yeah, thanks for having me, And thank you for joining us on Talking Feds. Okay, I'd like to divide our time between assessing Mueller's testimony and then analyzing where it leaves us. Momentous day that we could dissect from any of a dozen angles, and yet, on the other hand, it's already being treated by many as a sort of low-impact day in the postscript on a now-closed or closing book. Many, too, perhaps reacting to the outsized expectations that his testimony had, are suggesting that it really fell flat overall, and yet, as we heard in the lead to the show, if you itemize the hard blows that landed against the president, the damage seems substantial. So let's start with a couple broad gauge questions. And as everyone knows here, jump on in any time. Don't worry about you know interrupting. It's a lively discussion here in Mr. Reiner's living room that we're, we're honored to be, along with some fantastic baseball and movie memorabilia. Okay, so a couple broad gauge questions. First, did the committees do all they could yesterday? Is there any Monday morning quarterbacking to offer, or was it basically the best that could have been expected? Anybody? Well, I mean, my feeling about it is we're talking about the law now, and unfortunately we've been living in a uh, reality TV world with this president who's, you know, certainly not not a government. He's never governed anything. He's not successful. He hasn't done anything except he has been successful as a reality TV host. Right. And failure so, in business, even. Yeah. No. No. Nothing. He's yeah. been a failure at everything except except this one thing, and that's promoting himself and knowing how to do that. So we have this now culture that we're living in, where we expect things to be sh- showmanship. We expect uh, there to be dramaturgy, and on that level. Yeah, you'd say, well, the lead character in the show, Bob Mueller, is, you know, maybe past his prime, you know, maybe he's a little halting, you know, faltering in a way. But if you just look at what he said about the president and what was actually in the report, because I said this for a long time, and this is nothing new. Everybody knew that nobody had read the report, including people, members of Congress. I mean, you heard the other oh, day yeah. that Christopher, Christopher Ray, Ray had right. not read the <laughs> Mueller report. So, you know, nobody had read it. And so the public had no idea what was in it. Do they uh, now, though? No. No. That's, not, that's, a, that's not an issue. Yet, not yeah. yet. If we were to find what Trump did during this 2016 election and beyond that, you'd have to start an impeachment inquiry where the first witness would be Bob Mueller, to explain to people what was found. Then you have another witness after that and after that. And by the end of it, if it's orchestrated properly, the public will have gotten all of it. They didn't. It took them a long time to understand what had happened in in Watergate with Nixon. That's a good point. And then it cascaded pretty quickly. It it does. Now, so, so here's the thing. If you look at what he put out there, it's devastating. I mean, there's so much criminality in that report, and there's more criminality than any president in my lifetime. And so if you strip that away, 
you know, you have impeachable offenses right now. So uh, unfortunately, you look at the headlines and they all talk about Mueller's performance right. and not about the substance of what he right. uh, the substance of what he said. Well, so let's talk about that. You guys. I mean, so, you, uh, you know, unfortunately, is it true that on the one hand we had seismic revelations, at least for people who hadn't read the report, but on the other Nobody really was feeling the uh, vibrations. I, oh, well, I completely agree with Rob that the problem is we're in this culture right now, this reality TV culture where people expect showmanship like Trump showmanship. And to the extent that Congress or anybody else in the news thought they were going to get that from Mueller, there was no way they were ever going to get that from Mueller. So I don't think to the extent people are criticizing or critical of his quote-unquote performance yesterday, he's not a performer. That's not his job. He was never going to do it. Bob was adhering to a script. He said, I'm sticking to the report. He stuck to the report. So to me, it was not unexpected. And it's not surprising that some parts of the public or the news media are disappointed that he wasn't all fire and brimstone. But Bob was never going to do that. Although, but as Rob says, the the, uh, itemization of if you actually, you know, no exoneration, lies in That's his exactly written right. questions, substantial evidence of, I mean, if you, if you list them, they're, they're pretty damning. But there is some sense, or is there, Melinda, that like, even so, even hearing it, somehow people who were already not disposed to hear it somehow didn't? Or has the debate now been changed or the terms of it? Well, I actually hope that once people digest what happened yesterday, yeah. that they will put the performance aside and start thinking about what he said, both in the report and when he was in front of those members of Congress yesterday. I mean, he said that Trump was not the president of the United States, was untruthful in, in written, written answers to right. questions to what the special that? counsel. Is that not perjury? It's, that is perjury. It's, yeah. I, I believe I mean, it is. He, they asked, uh, it's certainly was he under oath? It's a false statement. And they statement. said he was under oath. Yes. Yeah. Yes, at a minimum obstruction, no, false statement. Yeah. Um, yeah, if it was under penalty of perjury, certainly yeah. perjury. He agreed with Adam Schiff that that, that, uh, that it would be unethical, unpatriotic, uh, wrong, and possibly criminal, certain conduct that he was discussing with Adam. The, the flirtation with WikiLeaks. Right. That, I mean, I mean that's that, that was actually where he did go outside the little, like, this is problematic, to say the least. Right. And I think that's where you can get Bob to go beyond the report. If you I mean, sort of tap into that former Marine, mm, unbelievable patriot, that's yeah. where you're going to get him to, to go beyond the four corners of the report and say, that's right, it's unethical, it's unpatriotic, and it's wrong, and it's possibly criminal. By the way, this is off off the, the topic a little, but I actually thought there's, speaking in dramatically terms, there was an anti-drama drama to it. You know, Mr. Mueller comes to the Hill, even if he was, you know, fatigued or whatever, and it was him with with everybody all around. But what, you know, of course, at the end of the day, will the, we want to know that the substance will hit home. And is it fair to say that it's up for grabs right now? What's going well, and what's going to determine it? From a political standpoint, yeah. it's definitely up for grabs. Right. I mean because you you know, you have Speaker Pelosi basically saying she doesn't want an impeachment inquiry. Right. And from what I understand, uh, Chairman Nadler is pushing very hard for that. And um, Schiff, I think. W- w- you know, Mueller did talk about the fact that but for the fact that he was a sitting president, he was not allowed to indict him. And so the only remedy left is impeachment. And as we know, impeachment is not necessarily crimes, although they can be. But what was laid out in the second, in the second, which is actually the first volume, was the you know about, about, about collusion. Today, yeah. That 
was more damning in a, from an impeachable standpoint than even the, the criminal obstruction of justice charges. Because when you have somebody who is basically aligning themselves with a foreign enemy power for his benefit, not just from an electoral standpoint, but from a monetary standpoint, that to me is, you know, that's the big impeachable offense and those are political they don't have they're not necessarily crimes because they said it doesn't rise to the you know level of conspiracy which is in the statute collusion which is not in the statute but if you just think about the term collusion there's tons of collusion in the in the Mueller report just the fact that his campaign manager would share polling data Amazing, right? with 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 a foreign uh, you know uh, operative and campaign strategy of what states they were going to target towards the end of the election. That to me, that's the definition of collusion. And Mueller, I mean, by the way, was yeah. very strong on that, saying we have a real problem in front of us. So I mean. Maybe there are certain sound bites on the Trump side that have been put to bed. Maybe not, but but are we? Will our will our debate now no longer have exoneration? No longer, you know, are are the Republicans playing on a different field? Can Mitch McConnell continue yes. to be completely? Yeah, look silent? look what yeah. look what yeah. look what Trump did today. Yeah, you know, they asked Mueller, "Was this a hoax?" No. Is it a witch hunt? No. What did Trump say today? Witch hunt, hoax. That's all he says. And so he's got 40% of the country that are the Fifth Avenue people. I mean, he actually did commit a violent violent crime on Fifth Avenue. He went and raped a person at Bergdorf. He's got that 40%, and they're not going anywhere. All right, and you didn't think, by the way, they were going anywhere. When you talk about your high expectations, they were never going to be going anywhere. They were never going to go anywhere. So was the notion that 5% might be going Somewhere, or were just people not thinking very clearly about the potential impact of the Mueller testimony? I mean, my sense is that the uh, the the best the Democrats could have hoped for from it was to get those Democrats that are already anti-Trump more on board, sort of an impeachment wagon, um, and that was the best they were going to get out of it. And and I do agree that no, the, the, the the Democratic voters or the Pelosi's of the world, the voters and the Pelosi's of the world. Um, but I do think that the Russian collusion aspect of the report is, to me, the most serious in a way. Yeah. Um, and I think to Bob, too. Uh, Let me ask you guys, because you, you know, by the way, the, I really recommend to, to listeners, going back to the Mueller we know, because the Mueller that Martha and Melinda knew in that last podcast really was the Mueller we saw yesterday. Maybe people made, uh, you know, too much of it on the performance side. But, you know, there was there seemed to be some fatigue on Mueller's part. Did you, as people who knew and worked with him, uh, feel that he was off his game at all? Or what's your what's your thinking about, you know, the Mueller that you saw yesterday? You know, I think he did exactly what he set out to do. He does not want to be part of the story. He does not want to be part of the drama. He doesn't want to be drawn into a political fight by either side. And the best way to do that, I think, is to behave the way that he behaved yesterday. Monosyllabic answers, yeah. uh, refusals to answers, referring you to the report, refusing to read the report, read from Wasn't the report. Wasn't that interesting? Any, he wouldn't yes. even, re, anytime anyone asked, he would ask the, the member to do the reading. Even. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and was, apparently that was, that was worked out in advance that he yeah. let them know. I am not going yeah. to read it because Thanks. he doesn't want to be part of the story. He doesn't want to be drawn into this. Well, that's, it's interesting, too, because in a couple of the footnotes uh, in the report, the, the term impeachment is mentioned. 
And I think that the Democrats were hoping that the word impeach, you know, if they got him to read those those footnotes, that the word impeachment would come out of Mueller's mouth and they would have that clip. But he he wasn't going to go there. And I don't think we should even be talking about his performance or was he the Mueller that he was. Just listen to what he said. Listen to what's yeah. in that report. Now, there is an issue of impact. This is sort of a legal insider's point that I think it's fair to make. I thought the Dems were—both sides, actually, were more um, disciplined than I thought they were going to be. But the Democrats, I thought, were both coordinated and had lines of questioning. But it was necessarily what the lawyers call, what we call, leading questions. It was never going to be. There was a, an early effort, I think, by Nadler. Tell us in your own words. And he, and he said, no, nah, I don't think, you know, he paid right. 72. So that required them for the, the, the various um, revelations that Rob listed that were so damning in the aggregate, they had to come out each in terms of leading questions. It's, you know, it's true, but that was the but best was, way they were going to come out. And that was the, that was the, the charge for yeah. the Democrats to do that. And some well, did they had to do well. was yeah. make sure that people heard what was in the report by reading it. And, you know, nobody sat there and watched for, you know, what is it, five or six hours, whatever it is. I did because yeah. Me too. Like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't not, you know, I'm like a moth to a flame. I can't stop. But I don't think the public did that. So they don't know. They're going to have to hear it over time. Like that woman in the yeah. Justin Amash uh, town hall meeting. She she had no idea there was there were damning things in the reports. Yeah. So Amazing. the public has to become uh, like that woman in the Justin Amash town But Mar was focused even at this point. He didn't want to make any sort of 45-second statement because that would be immediately transplanted to TV at 6 p.m., played again and right. again. As you say, not part of the story. Right. Think about Jackie Spears' question. I'm going to give you almost yeah. two minutes to tell the country what they should glean from your report. He answered in one sentence. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then she yielded her time. yielded the time back. <laughs> yeah, right, they, exactly. they needed what to understand he's not yeah. going to take the bait. He's just yeah. not going to do it. He didn't want to be there. He made it very clear to everybody yeah. he didn't want to be there. He made it very clear he was standing on his report and that this this is all he was going to do. I think he I think his conduct in that hearing yesterday was exactly what he set out to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, did you have a favorite moment? That's a little off point, but anything that you know you were either. You know. No, I mean, but uh, the, the moments that to me sort of yeah. rang, uh, uh, showed the, the real Bob was when he was defending his staff, number one. Yeah. And number two, when he was asked questions about the political affiliation of the people on his team, and he said, we don't ask that at DOJ. 25 years. Totally yeah. true. Yeah. You know, I don't even think you can ask that when you're hiring somebody at DOJ. So, I mean, to I me, if they do today. that yeah. just shows... The degree of integrity that yeah. Bob uh-huh. has, and yeah. the lack of a, sort of a political bone in his body that he's yeah. got. So you were really kind of watching through the prism of Mueller. It sounds like knowing him so yeah, well. Yeah, one of my favorite him. moments knowing him is that when he com- when he tried to compliment Andrew Weissman, who you know he <laughs> thinks the absolute world of. Yeah, <laughs> and it was such a Bob moment where he said, "Well, Andrew Weissman is you know among the more among the better people yeah, on the yeah, team." Yeah, Something yeah, like, like that. That was yeah. huge praise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. Andrew Weissman, Weissman was. Do, was Doing high fives exactly. in his Bob but, said I was among the better. <laughs> yeah. It was my, very Bob. My, my favorite moment actually came from a question that was asked by one of the Republicans when they said, uh, "So, what are you saying that uh, since a, a sitting president can't be indicted, that he could be indicted after he leaves office?" And he said, "Yeah." Yeah. He says, wait a minute, you're saying that? It was like cementing that idea. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, getting, you know, it was a Republican that helped. Right. Helps. Yeah, they, well, they did the same mistake with when Ted Lieu first had his good um, lot, former 
talking fit. Uh, a good line of testimony about the OLC report. You could see that the, I forget the the Republican woman from California tried to get him to walk it uh, to to walk it back. Yeah. But you Mike, know something, it's a, it's really a, a very gray area. The way he he expressed yes. basically. That the idea was that we can't indict a sitting president, so therefore, uh, you know, essentially trying to get the idea that that this is now in the Congress's bailiwick. And he kind of said that, but then he walked it back. And what he was saying is, I didn't even consider the idea of indicting. You yeah. know what I mean? That was that was something from the get-go that he... It wasn't like he came to the end and said, oh, you know, you can't indict, so... I wanted to ask you two what you actually thought about that. Rob, I actually worked on the on the letter that the thousand prosecutors, thousand prosecutors yeah, signed, but, but uh, um, one of the things that just struck me, you know, you're an Andrew Weissman or you're whoever you are, and you've worked all your life deciding whether a certain modicum of, of fact and law passes the line for indictability. It just seems to me unrealistic. I understand they weren't going to bottom line, but did he? Do you, do you really think inside the team they just said, we're not even going to think about it? We're, not, we're finding substantial evidence. Oh, does that mean the third element says, oh, we're not even... It just seems to me that's what prosecutors do. And in their, uh, in a formal way, they might not have bottom line, but I can't see how they, they, you know, would have approached evidence and law otherwise. My guess is they each have an opinion yeah. about whether that conduct constitutes obstruction of justice, um, and they're just not going to say it. And and I think that you know part of, part of the issue is from a legal perspective. For to charge obstruction of justice, it's one thing to have probable cause, but you've also got to have you know sufficient evidence to get a jury to convict. And if you're told by the OLC that you can't even indict in the first place, you've now removed one of the elements that a prosecutor has to consider when they're deciding whether to indict. So that OLC memo does create a problem for them, I think, in terms of whether or not they're going to make a recommendation. And also the you know, that obstruction of justice statute is pretty broad, but there are, you know, it's it's not necessarily a slam dunk case. That said, there's a lot of conduct in that report that uh, if it were my client, and, and I've had many clients, it's they would plead. be indicted in a heartbeat, you yeah, know, right. for that same you, conduct. You know what, so, I'm going to ask you guys, because yeah. you guys will have uh, the, 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 the thoughts about what to do. I mean, the idea of a an OLC rule or policy of not being able to indict a sitting president seems contrapuntal to the idea that no one is above the law. I mean, if you can indict, then where is the uh, remedy here? And from what I understand, and you guys can tell me, this came out of Watergate. These rules came out of Watergate because of what was happening with Agnew. Agnew was breaking the law and he was about to be indicted. They wanted him to be indicted. And they were concerned that Nixon was also breaking the law. And so what do you do if Nixon goes and then you've got nobody there, you know, as president? And so they made this rule up, which seems to me, it's a bad rule because it does, it's not based, nobody's ever challenged it constitutionally. Nobody's ever, there's never been a case that's said, is it constitutional to indict a sitting president or not? We know it's okay to uh, charge a sitting president with a, with a civil crime. That happened to Clinton. But on this 
criminal thing. What can be done? What should be done? I mean, because to me, that's one of the big reforms that needs to come out of this well, is to how do you handle a lawless president like this? Well, I think it's the impeachment process. So, you know, and I, I mean, I do, I do think there's a valid reason not to indict a sitting president because you do run the risk that the indictment process, the criminal process will be used for purely political purposes on either side of the aisle, right? It's not just a uh, Democrats against Republicans. So, and the, a criminal charge carries obviously really, really serious consequences. So, to me, I think the answer is, and I think this was what Bob and them were thinking the answer is impeachment. That's what the Constitution sets up, and that's the remedy. Well, given. Then so, if that's the case, then shouldn't it be that the special counsel should say, this is now up to the Congress to decide whether or not they want to impeach, which is what Ken Starr did in his report. Bob kind of says that in, in the Nobody in does, the report. He doesn't say it, He doesn't, it, doesn't come yeah. right out. He's and I think I mean, you can say it. You, you don't have to say you should impeach. All you have to do is say, because we can't indict a sitting president, it's up to Congress now to decide what you want to do with all this information yeah. and all this evidence we feel. I mean, but he it is interesting. You can take, I have taken him to, I mean, I, I felt this was a failing on his part. There were a few times where he as much as said things, that was one of them. And I think the obstruction was, was another, but he decided that he needed to stay his hand on just stitching it up with the actual words. And among other things, you know, it led to a lot of confusion. But I, I did want to add something to Rob's point, and, I, and, and maybe this is in disagreement with you, Martha. A bi- so a very big thing here. First, the opinion itself, I think, and there are two, there was another one then in 2000 that, that reached the same conclusion. But for fairly mucky, threadbare policy purposes, the very argument, in fact, that failed in Clinton v. Jones is essentially the one in the OLC memo, but, you know, because criminal is more distracting, as of course it is. But it's just from OLC, and it really should be, in some, you know, broad, good government sense, subjected to judicial review. And the way it's set up now, it can't happen. Because unless... The department goes forward with some kind of indictment. There's no, as the lawyers say, justiciable controversy to bring it to the court. So we are in this kind of stalemate that, in a sense, is a shame. I could see a a reasonable, honest court reaching this conclusion, though I think it would be for different reasons than it's in the memo. But we'll just never know now. We're stuck. But I'm asking Martha because I understand the idea of willy-nilly using it as a political tool to get back at... But let's just say for the sake of argument, a president shoots somebody in the Oval Office. Shouldn't that be something that we're allowed to indict? I mean... Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. But I, again, I think isn't the answer an impeachment and then po- the political forces cause a resignation? And then if you want, you can indict them after once they're out of the office. Well, I think they're... one of the problems with, and I, I completely agree with you in this context, but it assumes that we trust the prosecutors who have the power to bring those right. charges. So if, and assuming Which that we can't, yeah. right, and assuming that we can't, I mean, the problem with an indictment 
being allowed against a sitting president is then there are 93 U.S. attorneys in the country that could do that, that could just on their own decide right. to indict the president. The attorney general also has the power to indict the president. Right, right. And if we can't, tr- if we don't trust those people, it's very dangerous. Right. Then, it is then, interesting. That's then, what happened. Then, then I Agnew. understand that. Then, it, yeah. well, then it should be laid out when a. Uh, special counsel, uh, you know, finishes a report. He says, now this is up to, you know, if there's enough evidence of wrongdoing and, you know, this is up to now yeah. the, the Congress to decide. Yeah, yeah. I think you make it clear. Do just, Annie, you, it, it's funny. That is what happened in, in the Agnew case. Just one lone 34-year-old U.S. attorney. But you wouldn't, there are statutory ways of keeping it from being any of the 94. Well, I think but I mean, more broadly, we are in this, situation in the last few years where there has to be some remedy for ultimate misconduct and yet it appears that maybe there's not we we have i mean typically what we i think we've depended on in these broad situations including watergate is certain cultural norms and a general Mm -hmm. investment in democratic institutions that's been precisely what trump and his supporters have been just unabashed about trashing 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 and that that's what's so worrisome about the juncture we find ourselves yeah in. and and you hear I, this I term all that. the time no no one not even the president is above the law mm-hmm. well if you can't indict a sitting president and you've got a polarized uh, congress where there's no chance that an impeachment mm-hmm. could result in a conviction in the senate then he is above the law right and if the statute of limitations runs before he's, he's above out of the office, law yes yeah. you're right yeah I think there are ways to to think about statute of limitations, but basically, I agree. And it's a, I mean, we are in, you know, it's it's something to try to puzzle over in coming years. If you know, assuming Trump has some transition from power <laughs> eventually, before moving to where it now leaves us, we wanted, as we did up front of the show, play a interesting and important piece from former Talking Fed Ted Lieu, and then later about whether or not Mueller found uh, an obstruction of justice here. I'd like to ask you, the reason, again, that you did not indict Donald Trump is because of OLC opinion stating that you cannot indict a sitting president, correct? Uh, That is correct. Your investigation found that President Trump directed White House counsel Don McGahn to fire you. Isn't that correct? True. So right after his White House counsel, Mr. McGahn, refused to follow the president's order to fire you, the president came up with a new plan, and that was to go around all of his senior advisors and government aides to have a private citizen try to limit your investigation. Well, your investigation is not a witch hunt, is it? It is not a witch hunt. What he is doing is not obstructing justice. He is pursuing justice, and the fact that you ran it out two years means you perpetuated injustice. I take take your question. Time has expired. The witness may answer the question. I take your question. Did your investigation find that the Russian government perceived it would benefit from one of the candidates winning? Yes. And for each of those 10 potential instances of obstruction of justice, you analyzed three elements of the crime of obstruction of justice. An obstructive act, a nexus between the act and official proceeding, and corrupt intent. Is that correct? Yes. It was not the special counsel's job to conclusively determine Donald Trump's innocence or to exonerate him because the bedrock principle of our justice system is a presumption of innocence. It exists for everyone. Everyone is entitled to it, including sitting presidents. 
Donald Trump, October 31st, 2016. Boy, I love reading those WikiLeaks. Donald Trump, November 4th, 2016. Would any of those quotes disturb you, Mr. Director? It's probably problematic as an understatement. We have an election coming up in 2020, Director. If a campaign receives an offer of dirt from a foreign individual or a government, generally speaking, should that campaign report those contacts? Should be. It can be, depending on the circumstances of crime. But, um, I, I will yield back the balance of my time. Okay, so let's turn our focus forward. We know, as Rob was mentioning, that the Democratic leadership is still at odds. There was a closed-door meeting after the Mueller testimony where Pelosi, I think, was adhering to her view, not yet, not yet. Nadler and Schiff, and now some 80 or so Democrats are saying yes now for a impeachment inquiry. This, of course, as Congress is leaving for August to return to a presidential campaign in full bloom. Let's start here. It was noteworthy to me that at the end of many of the Democrats' presentation, they gave a little colloquy, basically making a pitch for, we really need to keep going and looking and having further investigation. Did they get any purchase here? Did the, the, to the extent there was some erosion of the Trump views, do you think there's any further public appetite for more congressional investigation going forward? I think there's appetite for more investigation, but it's not going to be effective unless they have access to materials and to witnesses. And the only way they're going to do that is to announce a formal judicial proceeding. And, you know, I've talked to Lawrence Tribe about this, and there's a number of constitutional scholars. Former former talking Fed also. Is he a talking (laughs) Fed? Okay. And they all say that if you announce a formal impeachment inquiry that you become a formal judicial uh, body, then you can expedite access to documents and compel testimony a lot more easily. Yeah, so, let me spell out the argument. So the grant. So I think I think it's right that if you under the statute, how do you get grand jury material? How does Congress get it? There was a, a body of thought that that a, a judge could just give it to him pursuant to the judge's inherent authority. That's been slapped down. But there's the specific statutory argument that says if it's pursuant to a judicial proceeding, the yes. word Rob used, but that is generally considered to include an impeachment inquiry. So at right. least they get the keys to the kingdom as far as the grand jury goes. The already existing grand jury materials. The already well, because right now, right, they're gonna anything they want to get from Mueller's investigation, the DOJ will absolutely say no. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. so, do you think there's more? I mean, do you think there are some bombshells that Bob uncovered and his team uncovered that aren't in the report you know that something? would be there? There may or may not be, but there, again, there doesn't have to be because what we know already is more damning than any president has ever faced, and all that needs to have happen is to for the public to see it. So if they can hear it, if they can have people testify to say what's there. And by the way, they didn't know about the Nixon tapes until they got into it. You don't know where something's going to happen as you unfold. And as you have things unfold, the audience, the public, 
They get more and more and more and more engaged. And right. another lawyer's point. point to this one. What don't we have? We've never seen the, the, the agent reports like the 302s. If you call somebody and you have materials, any kind of evidence, emails, whatever, that you're questioning them with, so much more effective than just saying, well, here's what Mueller said in his but report. But that report is pretty detailed if you actually read it. I mean, there's a lot of information yeah. there, and I was pretty surprised at how little was redacted at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I, just I, not the I don't know how much more you're going to get if you get access to the already existing grand jury material. I doubt, seriously, that Bob or any of the rest of that team deliberately hid inculpatory evidence. I mean, I, I just don't think they would have done that. I think that report was pretty thorough. I do think that, you know, to the extent that the public, you know, it's all about reality TV these days, to the extent the public is not going to digest it, it's not going to bother to read it or, or learn it unless there's some soundbite witness in front of Congress then maybe that's what you need if yeah. that's your goal at the end of the day. Right. But I don't think getting the grand jury material is going to reveal no, you're right. Facilitate. Well, what but you I can mean, get, you can compel witnesses though yeah. more. You can compel to, witnesses right. to come and testify, right? And exactly. who would you? So, let me ask you guys that. If you have you know one or two cards to play here, who who would you com- be to have testify in front of the American people? Yeah. I think McGann. Yeah, I think if people could see. Agree. McGann. What McGann, he has McGann, to McGann. say, yeah. it would be it would be stunning. McGann. Corey Lewandowski, Hope Hicks. Hope Hicks, me too. Uh, there's a few others that was mentioned. Bannon? That, what do you think about Bannon? Bannon. Uh, He's a wild card. Who was the other one that was mentioned in the report? Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah, right. Very good. And it's really his, yeah, we think Eisenberg, of it as a, there's somebody, John Eisenberg? She's the one who wrote all the, the notes. Yes, she's yeah. actually a deputy counsel. She's a you know, yeah. pretty uh, credentialed yeah. lawyer in her own right. That's a Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, I mean, and then you can also ask. Cohen? Uh, ask Cohen, ask Don Jr., Ask Kushner, and if they refuse or they want to take the fifth, that says something too, whatever it says. Hope Hicks, she should come back. So we need to do more reality TV, but just on our side. Well, look at at what Watergate was. Watergate, they had all the players. I mean, they had everybody there. I mean, do you remember? I mean, I don't know if you remember during that. Well, after that was the uh, Iran-Contra hearings, and the day that Fawn Hall showed up, who worked for Ollie North, I mean, she's a very beautiful, sexy woman. The ratings were through the roof. <laughs> Everybody wanted to see Fawn Hall. So I'm saying the point is, can you imagine a Hope Hicks coming up? The people are going to tune in for that. I mean, look, it's absolutely true what, what Congress has failed to do because the White House has taken such an aggressive posture vis-a-vis subpoenas is have, and that's what they've tried again and again to do in, what's it been, 16 weeks, an actual live Witness. On the other hand, some of these court cases are going to play out. If they actually aren't, you know, ha- have the time to spend, you know, their their uh, subpoenas long, are lawful. How long would it take, even in an expedited manner at this point? They have this lawsuit now, trying to yeah. compel McGann to testify. How how long will that take? My take on this, it, it it'll. I think that the real um, important point would be at the D.C. Circuit level. But I think it would be three, four months. That was one of the frustrating things about, um, you know, Mueller's decision not to So subpoena. three or four months, that yeah. means but, you're well into campaign season. Right. And yeah. it's, you know. It's and hard. by the way, it's like a contractor. You double it and it, you know, right. it's yes. more than three or four right. months. Well, that, and, right. and all these, it's always longer. Right. Yeah. Yes. And all these uh, ongoing matters, the HOMs yeah. that were redacted from the report, I mean, we don't know when those are going to hit. We don't know if the U.S. Well, attorneys who were appointed Stone's, by Trump. Isn't his you know, trial Stone's scheduled trials, in November? So right? do so, all yeah. those relate October to cases then. that are already public? 
public or there, I think there are some cases that are not yet public. Yeah, no, that's right. So if those are ripe, question whether the Trump appointed U.S. attorneys will actually seek an indictment. Yeah. Or whether they'll take the position that we're too close to the election. Well, one right. of one we of them has to it. be of Julian Assange, I would guess, and the whole WikiLeaks thing. And I wouldn't Maybe. think anybody. I don't. I, I, and has he been uh, extradited? Not yet. No. Yeah. no. And that'll drag thing. out. Yeah, yeah. But didn't well, they say there's like a dozen cases? Yeah, but I that just I do out. want to contrast this with Watergate again. And Rob, I know you have a point, but I mean Mueller. Mueller did not want to testify. He showed up because he got a lawful subpoena. If he were acting like the White House, he would simply have taken it to litigation and stalled for six months. In Watergate, Butterfield, Dean, everyone, they showed up. So one of the novel and successful, gallingly, approaches of this White House was, is to fight on meritless grounds knowing they buy time, and time is on their side because we're in the middle. And that's of really it's sad. Really, it's it really, really sad. Is. It's almost a kind of instruction in itself. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, that was one of the articles. That was the third article of uh, impeachment for Nixon, was the, the obstruction that they, you know, that the, that the White House did with the, with the tapes. You know, but it's, oh, God. I mean, I want to ask you a question. Let's say for the sake of argument, Mueller decided early on that because Trump wasn't going to testify, you know, in person with him, that he would subpoena him. This is like a year ago or, you know, nine months. It was, he said it took like a year. If he had done that, how yeah, long? Yeah, a year of diddling around with Giuliani. Yeah, how long would that have taken before a court would have uh, adjudicated that? I've thought about this, and I feel strongly about it. I think that's a four-month thing. I think he would have won, as he said. He should have done it earlier. he let himself get diddle around by the, you know, that he should have gone for three weeks and said, see you later, here's, um, here's the exactly. subpoena. I think they could have dragged it out longer than that, don't you think? They go the district court, then the court of appeals, mm, then the Supreme Court. It's not court. a strong claim. I it's know, but a, still, just the way those processes work, I just can't yeah. see it getting done in All four right. months. Six. Well, I mean, you know, Nixon itself, the U.S. v. Nixon was a, was just a few months. Yeah. And I think but Roberts, they, would, the Supreme Court would have been sensitive to doing it quickly again. It's that D.C. circuit level. But I think so. And the main thing is you put Clinton v. Jones together with U.S. versus Nixon, you win. As Mueller himself concluded, that's going to be the first thing that historians yeah. sort of look at and criticize about the Mueller probe. Because if, if he had sat in person, yeah. let's say, Could have blown five, it all five, five, four or five months ago, this thing would be Would have blown yeah. it wide gone, open, right? Gone. Yeah, he wouldn't have survived an interview. No. No. no, I agree. Yeah, his presidency might be, right? Right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty... And pretty they made big. Clinton right. do it in public. I mean, yeah. he was on camera doing it. Yeah, the Can deposition. Trump, I've seen some depositions with Trump. Have you seen any? Yes. It's yes. pathetic. Yeah, yeah but you, don't you think his base would still be with him all the well, way? They, what fine. about that? What yeah. a question. That's fine. I That's think, fine, I but think it's they still... So, and yeah, and would he still, and let's say he purges himself, say he does Mueller say nothing? I know, what about that? You know, so there have been so many things that have happened, you know, starting back with the Access Hollywood, where I and many others are, oh, well, now he's done. Well, well now he's done. It, it wouldn't How have many hurt, have there been? It wouldn't Three have hurt dozen? his base, but it certainly yeah. would have moved yeah. us to impeachment. Yeah. Yeah. One thing he's doing right now is very quietly, but vociferously protecting his tax returns. Mm. He's got a legal team that is all over the place trying to protect the from the to protect against the disclosure of his tax returns. And that was I something am, that Mueller when they asked Mueller him, he, him right? he took a pass on that one. So I, I Mueller find must it, have him, right? I find it hard for to believe him. that he doesn't have them. I think have Mueller him. has First him. First step, right? He must have gotten them. Yes. Yeah. So But he didn't he didn't explore uh, financial 
doings. He didn't look into well, any. Well, that of wasn't that. part of his charge. It, it, it wasn't part of it his wasn't. charge. And they He's even no asked him about star that. There. Wasn't yeah. part of his charge. So is it possible God, that's something that's gosh, been farmed so, out? Huh? Well, it has to be, don't you think? If he saw I mean, something if the in the whole tax idea, returns. If it's a counterintelligence yeah. investigation, then you have to look into yeah, that's a great point. where is the compromise. That's a yeah. great point. How do they how do they view the tax returns? But of course, if it's that, again, we may never see it. He he may we may never see it. Let me ask a sort of broad question. Um, look, let's say it's true that. Um, you know, this is both a political and legal question, but, you know, Pelosi's viewpoint is, or somebody, you know, it could, could be summarized, it's a fool's errand. We're going to, it really could give him the election. It would serve his purposes. Let's say that the political calculus is, a, you know, at least in his favor of doing impeachment. Nevertheless, how do we factor in the sort of broader moral democratic issues that seem so front and center in a way they haven't been since Nixon or before? Should, in some broad, you know, moral way, the Congress be pushing impeachment, even if they think it's politically unsound. And that, that's a sort of two part. And, and I guess, is it politically well, unsound? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a yeah, question of that's moral judgment, question. right? Right. Yeah. yeah. No, we I mean, don't know. Some... We don't know the politics of this. Yeah. I, mean, well, I guess let's start there. Do you, yeah, where are you on the, do you? Well, we don't know. I mean, right now, if you take a poll, you say, well, the, the country is generally against impeachment. But yeah. if you start the process, you don't know if those polls are going to shift. That's true. But to me, it, even though impeachment itself is a political process, whether or not we should impeach, that should not be political calculation. Because if we don't do it, then what's then what's the point of having that in the Constitution? If you have a, 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 a president that has committed on prima facie, in my opinion, as many crimes as this guy has, and you don't go down that road, it just opens the door for any other president to say, I can do whatever I want. I'm never going to get. I mean, get- in a way, it sort of takes us a giant step toward you know na- Greece or, or yes. Turkey or something. Right. Yes, but so but Venezuela. I mean, can you really fault the yeah. Dems for saying? Yeah, well, maybe it does, but we're here to I, be real. I, 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 I think I agree that it's, it's, it's. That they they have, have a, to. they have a constitutional duty if they, yeah. if there's really been crimes committed by the president. I think they have a constitutional duty to start that process, even if it's politically counterproductive. Even if it's politically counterproductive, I, uh, because and it's not you know actually that? a political. It's not a political decision in that sense. Yeah. It's a, it's a much bigger political decision in an institutional. Yeah. Kind of sense. Melinda, where but, are you on but, this? But, this I, but I agree that when we don't, yeah. we don't know which way it's going to go. It could, we could start down this path and have hearings, and McGahn could testify, and it could lead to the end of the presidency, or it could backfire completely, and Trump is reelected. It could from that so it's sort just of political so hard to know. Yeah. Which is the right path. I mean, I do like to think that we, I would hate to see us get to the point where we are now on the wrong side of history. Where yeah, we, well, that's, that's sort of the question I'm asking. What's this going to look, if we do nothing, I don't want to be glib about this. You know, they're, they're, it's a political process and a political remedy. But really, if we do nothing, what does this look like in five years? What have we countenanced? And, you know, and what kind of damage are we not able to reverse if we do nothing? Right. Especially if we find out the worst. You know, he really is being yeah. blackmailed by Putin. He really is direct well, taking they, direction from Putin. Yeah, they have. I mean, they have compromise on him. Right. They know he lied to the American public about wanting to build a Trump Tower in Moscow during the campaign. Right. So they if, knew that. Right. They knew all that. Here, here's the thing about all this. You have to preserve 
the democracy at some point. That's what we're looking at. And we don't know where the polls are going to be. We don't know if they're, it's going to go one way or the other. What you can do is you open an impeachment inquiry, you start getting witnesses, you go down the road. If it becomes clear to everybody that this is, you know, we have to draw up these articles, you do it. If you don't, you just fold the tent. I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to draw up articles. And then once you draw up articles, you don't have to vote on them. If it takes you all the way to, let's say, right before the convention, you could say, look, we're right in the middle of a, of a, of a you know, a heated uh, political campaign and we're not going to make uh, the president have to stand trial in the Senate during this. We'll hold it off. And if, and if he, uh, meanwhile, he, the, the public has seen a lot of who, of who this guy is. I, that's what yeah. I would do. I mean, and if the alternative is, as it is for the Republicans, kind of pretending nothing's nothing's happened it 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 just it just does seem like there's this graver duty but can you actually ask them if they if this is their true calculus that to you know drive over a cliff in this way it's unfortunate that that's the way people think of it because there's something if, if, bigger than winning or losing an election it's whether or not you preserve democracy right and the oh, integrity of the system yeah. i mean it's but think think about this for a second what if you don't go through the impeachment process and then you lose anyway. Then you've really done something horrible. You haven't preserved... And the uh, way it's looking, but they're going to lose anyway. That they might. They um, might lose. Really There's um, no guarantee that by not doing an impeachment inquiry, you're going you're gonna to win. There's no guarantee of that. Is I mean, there I a think me- the core is Martha's point. Is there, do they, they swore an oath to the Constitution. Is there a constitutional... Duty that they just had, you know, this it did happen in Watergate, not immediately. Yeah. It wasn't until the the evidence began to accumulate that that that, that people saw it in the in broader civic terms. Yeah. Right. Well, there was a tipping point, and we certainly haven't yeah. gotten there yet. That's Certain, for sure. Yeah. There's an end. I think it's time for our final segment: five words or fewer, where we take a question from a listener, and each of our guests answers in five words or fewer. Our question today comes from Lois Haggard, who asks, what will it take to get Republicans on board for a Trump impeachment and removal? Five words or fewer, Melinda. PP tapes are leaked. <laughs> Good. I really don't know. Yeah. I don't think anything. I don't think anything. And on that cheery note, we want to thank... Um, Martha and Melinda, but especially Rob, for your contributions all through these years, but for today in particular and for your hospitality. Um, this has been a really special episode and a very important juncture in the in the Trump investigations. Thank you very much to Martha, Melinda, and especially Rob. And thank you very much, listeners, for tuning in to Talking Feds. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and tell a friend about us. You can follow us on Twitter at TalkingFedsPod to find out about future episodes and other Feds-related content. And you can also check us out on the web at TalkingFeds.com. Submit your questions to questions at TalkingFeds.com, whether it's for five words or less, or general questions about the inner workings of the legal system for our sidebar segment. Thanks for tuning in, and don't worry, as long as you need answers, 
the feds will keep talking. Talking Feds is produced by Jenny Josephson, Dave Moldovan, Anthony Lemos, and Rebecca Lopatin. This episode was recorded by Bill Lance. David Lieberman is our contributing writer. Production assistance by Sarah Philippoum. Special thanks to Trisha and Rocco at Castle Rock Entertainment, who helped make this episode a reality. As always, thanks to the incredible Philip Glass, who graciously lets us use his music. Talking Feds is a production of Dolito LLC. I'm Harry Lintman. See you next time. Before we conclude, I ask everyone to please remain seated and quiet while the witness exits the room.